Hey guys, check out Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0, brought to you by Mama Jumbo Shrimp, a fully updated second edition, reviewed and revised by an expert panel of certified Italian wine ambassadors from across the globe. The book also includes an edition by Professore Attilio Scienza, Italy's leading vine geneticist. To pick up a copy today, just head to Amazon.com or visit us at MamaJumboShrimp.com. Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Cynthia Chaplin, and this is Voices. Every Wednesday, I will be sharing conversations with international wine industry professionals, discussing issues in diversity, equity, and inclusion through their personal experiences working in the field of wine. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate our show wherever you get your pods. Hello, and welcome to Voices. Today, I am very excited to have Viviana Malafarino from Basilisco Winery in Basilicata with me. The winery's website describes Viviana as the face and the soul of Basilisco. I can tell you that's true. I went to visit her myself, and her passion and her dedication are obvious the minute you meet her. She manages all the aspects of the winery in conjunction with Pierpaolo Cirque, who's responsible for the vineyards. And I had such a great time visiting Viviana a few weeks ago, tasting her wines and walking with her in the 80-year-old vineyards where she's creating incredible Alianico at over 600 meters above sea level on Monte Vulturi's volcanic soils. So Viviana, benvenuti, grazie mille per venire oggi. I am so glad you could come and talk to us. Thank you very much for inviting me. And uh, I'm very curious to see how this works. And I'm very, very grateful for the occasion to talk about Vulture and my work, obviously. Well, me too. As I said, I was thrilled to be there just a few weeks ago. And many of my listeners will know that I have four daughters of my own. So I always get really excited when I meet strong women in wine. It's so inspiring, not just for me, but also for all the young people that I work with. So your story is so interesting. Originally, you trained as a teacher and a linguist. And I know you went on to work on super yachts, which must have been fun. We won't go down that road. <laughs> but you took a temporary job at Fiude de San Gregorio. And I know that there was a reason for that. We won't talk about it. I think most of us have had a boyfriend that took us somewhere. <laughs> but you told me that once you got there, you fell in love with viticulture at Fiude. What happened? How did you go from being a Russian translator to running a winery in Basilicata? As you said, I've been changing various life. And when I tripped into viticulture, basically, I somehow felt that making wine, agriculture first and vinification afterwards, it's really like a, a melting pot where everything I've been learning before fell in, including languages, including arts, uh, whatever I've been doing, traveling, is really um, joining, like all together, like in a life storm that condensate in one thing that express uh, all what I've been learning in my life. And when you, well, like people like me, which I'm a bit, I don't know, I would just say, we would say in Italian, we would say mercurica, like a mercury, moving a lot. and not Yes, mercurial, mercurial, going up and down. So when people like me find the pace of agriculture and learn, first of all, that uh, you have to respect paces which are not what you decide. And then uh, you can try every year to not do the same mistakes, but you have to wait one year. It's like a kind of a fascinating lifestyle that is over the beauty of nature and the beauty of creation. It's really 
to pace down your heart. That was enchanting me somehow. So the place where I found this meeting with nature is amazing because it's a volcano. So it's not a simple natural place. It's really a complex, beautiful reality. And that was the first falling love moment. But then afterward, you really learn to live life in another way, say. Oh, I think that's so true. I agree with you. I think wine does encompass so many things, history and culture and nature. And nature can be very humbling. You can't control that. You can control other things, but not nature. So it's different every year. I love that. I know that Antonio Capaldo from Feudi spotted your talent with vines, and he offered you a permanent position as the viticulturist at Basilisco. And he told you, what you don't know, we can teach you, and we will find you the very best teachers. And a year after that, you were running the winery all by yourself, which sounds incredibly simple, but I know it wasn't very simple. What was it like to be a woman suddenly in the middle of the wild west of Basilicata running a winery? I can't believe that all the wine men rushed out to welcome you, did they? Yeah, no, they didn't. <laughs> so sad. Actually, the opposite. Well, first part of the, your question is jump into something so unknown. It seemed silly, but it's been really scary. I remember, I'm not uh, ashamed to say, but the first few months, uh, I was in tears about the idea of ordering 15,000 bottles because I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what they... I, I, nothing. It was really over-stressing at the very beginning. I, I, the first few months, I slept like four hours a night because I really felt uh, there was so much to learn. But afterward, honestly, Antonio's uh, part uh, of the game was great because uh, he said, okay, we bought a winery because we failed, so you <laughs> can't do worse. <laughs> so, <laughs> the only thing you can do, which I wouldn't appreciate, is not do anything. So whatever you do, even if you do mistakes, it's fine for me. And that is a really good start and uh, really gives a lot of space to creativity and uh, uh, freedom in action. But then, yes, here in Basilicata, it was not uh, easy to enter the viticulture world. I think, honestly, all around Italy is still a little bit complicated for women, even if we have this association of Donne del Vino and uh, more and more there are, you, you can see winery run by women. But somehow, very often, the undernote is that uh, you can do marketing, you can do accounting, but you can't really be a winemaker. And uh, obviously, there are many winemakers, more and more female. But uh, especially in Basilicata, which is a bit like uh, Italy a few decades ago, it's been quite difficult to be welcomed as a woman in this position. I had some colleague that was uh, pointing out that my hands were not uh, properly soft and clean because I was working and I shouldn't do it. I should let other people do it which is, can be true because I'm not forced to do it. I just love it. <laughs> so it's a, it's a choice. But uh, yes, Basilicata is, um, is a very complicated place uh, to, to start this kind of work and even more for somebody that has never been doing it before. But as an, Capaldo's promise was uh, fulfilled, uh, he gave me the best teachers in, uh, in viticulture and in vinification. So I've been uh, learning, uh, not that in university, but from scratch uh, as uh, in the old days when you were going at the bottega of an artist or of uh, an artisan. And that uh, would be, for me, is the perfect way because it really suits my, my temper, this way of uh, learning how to use your hand and mind in a project. 
Yeah, I think every day is a classroom for you. You didn't go to enology school. You jumped in with both feet. You are so brave to do something that you had never tried before and start a new career that you hadn't really thought of before and really learning hands-on, as you said, you know, with your eyes and your hands every day was your classroom. And it's funny, you know, I know Basilicata is not Tuscany, obviously, no rolling hills and cypress trees and historic poets and all this romance. When I was there, you even told me that people in Basilicata say nobody would ever move there on purpose. Everybody moves away instead. So I know how much you love it now. What made you fall in love with Monte Vulture and Basilicata and Barile? It wasn't easy, I know. You said the winemakers weren't exactly, you know, very happy to see you. No, that was not the reason. <laughs> well, you know, there is a beautiful, very short, but really funny episode that happened to me. When I just arrived, there was the, the wife of another producer that was kind enough to drive me around looking for, you know, bureaucracy of uh, moving. And uh, we also went to see for a doctor, a local doctor. And uh, they asked me for my permesso di soggiorno, which is the permission to stay in Italy. And I, I didn't understand. I said, well, I didn't realize that I need a permesso di soggiorno for Basilicata. Of course you have. Every foreigners need to have it. I said, but not foreigners. Are you too? And why do you want to move to Basilicata then? <laughs> so that was really, you know, a very first input, quite impressive. But uh, uh, obviously th there are many difficulties in a place like that, which is really walking slow on the path of uh, developing uh, industries and agriculture. And like there is an old story. There is everything, but it's like uh, moving slow. But the place, the landscape uh, is uh, such a reach of intensity, not only the volcanic soil, but the really even the sky is different, the sky, the lights. Uh, and uh, most than everything at the end is uh, this obviously is quite a beautiful shock to see all this beauty and this nature. But the other thing is that uh, there is so much to do. And you do see all this huge potential that really is just starting to develop that makes you feel like every day you make the difference. And that is like a drug, basically, for people like me, I think almost for everybody. When your work and just your life, your being in a place makes a difference every day. It's something that is really makes you addicted to, to what you're doing, I think. I love that idea. It really is such a rugged and gorgeous place. And seeing the potential that a lot of people don't see. You told me it's very hard to get people to work there. They want to work in industry. They don't want to be in agriculture anymore. And really seeing that beauty for what it is and the potential that's there. You're very good at that. It's funny because I know that things were hard and you really have set your cap at making some change. You really want to see things go forward and see that potential develop. You told me a very funny story about trying to form a group of wine producers and invite them all over to have tastings together and share their wines and see how everyone could work together and improve. And all of them said, you keep your nose out of my business and I will keep my nose out of yours. Now, since that time, you've become very successful with what you're doing. And I want to know what the situation is like now with you and the other producers and the wines you're making and how they're different from what the other producers are doing. Yeah, that was quite a cold shower because I'm always been, as a previous teacher, I've always been uh, very fond of uh, aggregation and uh, confrontation and sharing experience. So 
that was a bit shocking. And to be frank, I found uh, a, a positive response only in a, in a winery, which is run by foreigners, meaning like non-Basilicata people, uh, ex, uh, people that come from Tuscany. And obviously they're more used to this kind of uh, normal uh, sharing of uh, information, experience and whatever. So after that, I, I, I kept on going, as I said, also when you were at the winery. In pe- places like this, you really can make a difference, only just keep being yourself, just going on your road. And uh, it really gives you a different uh, vision of what is possible to do or not to do. So for a few years, actually, I went back in my caves, <laughs> as you see in the winery is in caves. So I really locked back myself in the cave from probably for about two years. And then I there was an occasion, again, something that is grown up from a bad experience, meaning a beautiful, I don't know, probably you know, Collisioni, which is a beautiful festival in Piemonte, and they always welcome winery from other regions. Me, I was in touch with them. Other young wineries were in touch with them and they proposed them to invite Basilicata to be part of the project one year, 2017. After a month with no answer, we just went back saying what's happening and so on. And they said, what's happening? We've been inviting you, the consortium, whatever, but we have no news of you. So at the end of the day, it came out that um, the consortium invited not all the wineries, just some of the wineries. And uh, all the others, or part of the others, decided that we were not staying back this, this time. So with a group of uh, just friends, basically, we were more linked by gin tonic rather than wine. We said, you know what, we're going to do it. And uh, obviously, the, without any help from uh, public money or whatever, we paid uh, our own inscription, all of us, uh, to go there and be there. And the, uh, that way is born a little group called Generazione Vulture. And we are seven wineries run by, let's say, young people like me or normally more young than me. And in between us, uh, things are changing because uh, now it's like five years we run together and we do tastings together. We go around Italy talking about Vulture together. And it's a super positive experience, but at the moment it's really uh, confined to this little group. But it's really inspirational as well for others, for what it could be, how it could be. Obviously, sorry, I'm not so naive thinking that in other territories, the producer love each other deeply, but they are good at their work enough to know that if they join together, they can do a lot better. Italian Wine Podcast. If you think you love wine as much as we do, then give us a like and a follow anywhere you get your pods. Absolutely. As you said, you don't have to love each other, but working together and collaborating is the best way forward. And you touched on something really briefly there that you know you had to pay your own inscriptions to go. I know you mentioned that sort of the local government in Basilicata is not very supportive. They're not helping the wine industry to grow and develop. What's going on there? Why do you think they are so resistant? I think 
somehow we want to be benevolent <laughs> in this answer. So I think that somehow it's all connected with the same mentality that makes young people refuse agricultural work and prefer industrial work. It's all connected to the same mindset we had in north of Italy 15, 20 years ago, like um, what is coming from the earth is dirty and heavy and to be sitting at the desk is the best work you can do. A few years ago was the same also in north of Italy and down in the south still now they are not watching agriculture as a great possibility of preserving territory and at the same time create employment. So I want to believe that uh, the only fail of this administration is uh, to have the same mentality. So they really help a lot uh, industry, people that build uh, car, concrete, uh, whatever is good for mechanization, let's say, but they don't support uh, enotourism or agriculture or very, very, very small support. Basically, maybe sometimes there is some uh, promise of um, intervention or any kind of uh, organization, but that anything keeps falling apart every time they go to concrete uh, help. And uh, it can be uh, a problem for winery like us, but is a huge problem for smaller winery with less money and less structure. So it really slows down everything because I can be healthy, but if I live in an unhealthy place, at the end, I will get contagious by this disease that in Basilicata is non-mobility, non-energy or whatever it really stops and makes everything fall into a sleeping mode. It's so strange too, especially because lately there's been a lot of focus on made in Italy and luxury products, uh, of which wine is one. You know, of course, not all wine is luxury product, but the Alianicos that you're producing on Monte Volturi certainly are aiming for that category. And it's odd that this administration is grouping those things into agriculture rather than luxury goods, fine wines, something that really represents the best and the future of the artisan work that gets done in Italy. So it's definitely a strange dichotomy to work with. You know, as you said, a lot of people in the South grow up thinking that, you know, to better themselves, they need a job that's at a desk, not outside on the farm. And interestingly, I think that's kind of played into your hand because you are now one of the only wineries employing women in all aspects of the business because, you know, women in the South need jobs and sometimes they can't get any other jobs except in agriculture. And you've chosen to harness the power of women. So, you know, what's your vision for the future of Basilisco and your female workforce? That's uh, quite a special uh, part of this work because in uh, Basilicata, as a, let's say, old style region, has uh, plenty of these, you know, very strong women. They say, like the grandmother wear. But at the same time, women are not good for all the works. A bit like uh, when I was in Russia the first time, that the, there was a lot of female workers, but not responsibility work and not uh, work they could take uh, their own decision. And in Basilicata, for example, in agriculture, women are very often used for, uh, let's say, tying up the vines uh, and doing this kind of light uh, and delicate works. Obviously, a lot less for others, which are really strong work. But curiously, they are also not employed in many works which are, let's say, intellectual, like pruning. 
well, I never met any other winery where the women were trained for pruning. And uh, since uh, the, the women I know, they are very tough and very good at work. I don't want to say better than male, but it's what I think. <laughs> and actually, it's not only me. I was talking the other day with the guy which is responsible for the work we do in, in the vineyards. And uh, we were looking at the various group of people we are employing on different uh, issues. And uh, we ended up, actually, he ended up saying, we have problem only in the group where men are and where women are working. Everything goes faster. What I like about uh, the work I'm doing is that uh, women themselves, they don't believe they can do some things because they're not used to think about it. So when I proposed to do the pruning was like three years ago, they were sort of scared, let's say, Uh, scared of not being able to and uh, some of them actually started and then gave up because obviously it's uh, it's tiring it's also a tiring work but generally speaking women really they do need work Basilicata is a place where there is a great lack of work the women that want to work are normally quite affected by the fact that uh, the majority of the year there is a lot of work for tractors and hard uh, heavy work and less for uh, kind and female, as they say. But uh, being able to start to do the part of the job that was normally reserved to men, for them is a challenge, but a great satisfaction. But only somehow between women, there is a sort of self-consciousness of being the strong part of the society and also the self-conscious of being um, taken aside. You know, they're not involved in what they could And being able to do things and better without too much effort um, is obviously uh, a great success for them. And for myself too, I do feel uh, excited by the fact that when uh, a normal perspective on this work would be, okay, now we are entering the season where there is no work for ladies. And I'm like, okay, but at the winery, I have a lot of uh, repainting to do. And if they do want, I'll be happy to do it with the ladies because they are precise and clean and tidy and uh, very careful. So they started to do also that job when it's not, uh, you know, a moment of the year when there is an agricultural job. Somehow this gives uh, to all the team the feeling of being uh, in a circular sharing of uh, experience and work. Absolutely. Much more of a community sense of responsibility to each other, everybody doing all the jobs together. I think that's an amazing thing to have created, especially when there has really been a line between jobs for men and jobs for women in Basilicata. I don't even like to say that I'm being masculine. I'm just being, you know, myself. My father always been teaching me to do a lot of mechanical things and I'm not afraid of driving any kind of anything. So, for example, in 2016, we were short on tractor driver and I've been taking a couple of lessons from my agricultural responsible. And for the whole harvest, I've been the person carrying the grapes from the vineyard to the winery, then vinification, and then go back to the vineyards. And it was kind of a shock for the village, <laughs> the fact that I was going up and down on this tractor. I mean, it's just an engine. You just turn on the key and you are just bigger. It's nothing impressive, but for the place, it was also, we were using the scales uh, that was uh, in a quarry next door. And I was going up, doing the maneuver, putting the load uh, on the scale. They were printing the ticket and they were looking at me, staring and saying, I should give it to the tractor driver. And I said, yes, but I'm on my own. And I came with a tractor. So <laughs> guess what? <laughs> you got to give it to me. 
And it was like a bit, you know, we hypnotized doing the jests and uh, shocked. But on the other hand, the very cool thing is like after the first week, somebody came to me, actually was a carpenter, a strong man. And he said, you are a proper woman like my grandmother was because they are used to this model of very strong women. But somehow it's been uh, removed from their habits in the last uh, 50 years. And now the women are really confined in a position very subordinated. Honestly, I think is unfortunately, I know is in Italy a bit everywhere. But in this place is normal to know that a man beat his wife, for example. That's terrible. It's just terrible. There is a friend of mine, he's an ex-producer, now he's not a producer anymore, and he's probably in his 60s. And he and his wife were telling me that uh, at the wedding, so 40 years ago, they'd been took before the wedding and uh, to him, they told, uh, during the first three days, you got to beat your woman. You don't have a reason. You don't need to have a reason. She does have to know that it's possible that happens. That's shocking. It sounds like 500 yeah, years ago. To me, it was shocking. <laughs> it was like really incredible. Obviously, it's not like this anymore. But it's not so far away and it's not so unusual that happens in some families. Like a bit like everywhere, but I think here it's not considered so shocking, let's say. This is one of the wonderful things about you being there because you are, you know, inspiring women to be braver and to not be afraid of learning something new and not being scared of not being able to do things. I think one thing you've left out, I learned to drive the tractor on my father-in-law's sheep farm and he always said, Women never break things. <laughs> That's not a good point. <laughs> All the men, they drove the tractor really hard and they broke things. And he said, I don't like it that you drive the tractor, but you never break it. <laughs> One thing I want to say about what you just mentioned, that uh, I don't feel like I'm inspiring much. I feel like a sort of reminder of what they know they could do, but they don't dare. And that's really sad when women, as you said, feel so subordinated that they know they can, they know they're strong and they don't dare. So I think I'm going to send you a T-shirt that says dare on the front of it. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because externally you have a pretty tough image and, you know, you said people see you as being masculine and you're notoriously a hard worker. You still don't sleep. I know that. But I saw a much softer side of you while I was there. And especially with the new labels that you are making for the wines, you know, these are Alianico wines, you know, from Monte Volture, from the Black Soils. These are meant to be big, robust wines. You know, I know you hate it when people say Alianico is harsh and strong. And so you created these new wine labels and they're gorgeous and beautiful. So tell us a little bit about the new labels and why they mean so much to you, because they are really striking and they touched me. Thank you. I'm really glad you appreciate because they are not new, very new, because they've been around for a couple of years now, but we are still collecting all the feedback about the label. Somebody loves it, somebody don't. I do, and I've actually been uh, proposing uh, this kind of label for 10 years now. Somehow the labels we had before were really beautiful, made by Massimo Vignelli, which is a great artist. His uh, pieces are at the MoMA in New York. Those were the labels that took me to Basilisco 15 years ago when I started presenting it in Rome at embassies and, and selling it. They were black and white and very striking. Somehow uh, from 2012, I started to do a project on single vineyards. And from 2000, let's say 15, actually, the bottles started to come out, 16. And I felt a bit down by the fact that these labels were really giving the impression of uh, a very 
I wouldn't say monotone, but, you know, homogeneous product, where it's not. All the wines are 100% Alianico from the same council, but they're all different. They all have a different soul. And I did want to express it a little bit, at least, on the label. So I went for um, a natural paper, not bleached, which talk about our approach, not only on viticulture, but our place uh, in the planet, let's say. So more natural, more light, uh, and with a, a touch of color that says something about the wines. It's just an idea. Sometimes I joke also, probably I told you the same thing when you were at the winery, like uh, there is not much to do in Barile. So you play around with whatever you have, which can be soils, vinification, labels. In my idea, this little patch of color can be like a aquarelle. Watercolor. That uh, suggests a feeling about the wine. But in my mind, there is a, a precise explanation for every color. But even if you don't have the clear explanation of why and what, really I think that this color gives you a little hint of what you're going to find in the wine, especially in comparison with the others. That's how they born. And then there is the, the name Basilisco is written in like French style cursive a little bit more because the, the idea of crew and single vineyard in my perception comes from, in my conscious, comes from Burgundy. So I did want to recall the French style of the idea behind the wines. And yes, what you said about Dallianico, to me, should be reflected on the label. So it's not a dark and monolithic wines. It's a really open, luminous and full of different colors wine. So that's what I wanted to express on these labels. They really do. You know, as you said, each one has a different color. They're sort of like a cloud of watercolor for each single crew. And I went there specifically to see the old vines and the ungrafted vines and to learn about the project you're doing with the single crew. So those labels, I think they do really display a difference and they do start to speak about several different aspects of Alianico rather than just one idea that all Alianico is the same. So I think that work was special. I'm glad you were bored and had time to play with the watercolors. I loved the old labels, but I think the new labels are really speaking to the new project. And it's it's a difficult project. You know, you are fermenting for 32 days, a lot longer than everybody else. You've got extremely old vines you know, on a steep slope. They have to be tied up with canes. They're bush trained. They're very expensive. You were saying they're sort of 635 euros per quintal, only making five barrels, all organic, everything by hand. I just want to ask you, I know the answer, but I think our listeners will really want to hear from you. What drives you to do this incredibly hard work in this inhospitable place, this land that you love and these vines and this wine that has become so special to you? What fuels this passion? You're there in this outback West place and you speak about it in the language of a romantic poet. You really do. I know it's something in your heart. Where do you want to see this go in the next few years? There are probably two answers to the first part of your question, which is what to fuel the passion. On one hand, I do see this amazing beauty and I can't help it. I really want to show it to everybody which is not there or doesn't know that this exists. So somehow is really the need of showing this amazing beauty not told about. Obviously the landscape, the place, but then the first harvest that really show me a different Alianico. 
to reconnect with what we were saying before, this male and strong wine somehow can be extremely elegant and not rustic, really can be like a strong woman rather than like a, a strong man. And that gives a, a version of Alianico, which is a very elegant and at the same time powerful, but in a more pleasant way from respect of what we were used to. And to show this other nature of Alianico to me is really a challenge that I love to keep uh, trying to fulfill. Uh, on the other hand, uh, there is uh, the fact that I have the perception of an injustice in the fact that Alianico is so unknown and Basilicata itself. So it's not only I love this beauty and I want to transfer it, but it's also it's so unfair that this place doesn't have the possibility of uh, shining up like it should. So there is these two elements that fuels my passion. Really, I feel the urge to make it visible and to show to everybody how much beauty there is outside there. And uh, what I do expect or hope for this place is uh, I, I'm a believer, <laughs> they would say. So even if every day I hear the story that uh, is like Alianico uh, is always going to explode, but it never does. I do believe that it will explode because it is impossible that doesn't happen in my idea. So what I hope is that being there and keep doing hard work with this passion somehow makes more and more comprehensible, first of all, to Basilicata administrations, uh, what they have. They have really a gold mine and they are still working with the mud, basically, because it's uh, more easy, more convenient, and they're used to do it. But if they start to realize how much benefit they would have, first of all, on their young people, which are still escaping from the region because there is no work, and they are hoping on uh, industrial work to feel safe. If they could have a safe work in a, something amazing and beautiful like agriculture, nature, and valorization of their territory, they would be happy and they would stay and Basilicata would be blossoming. I think that this is my dream, to see a place that is happy of himself. Well, I think you're right. Everybody needs to feel valued. Uh, the wine needs to be more valued than it is. People need to feel valued in what they're doing. And until that happens, it is hard to sort of correct that injustice of Basilicata being so unknown. So I know how hard you are working, and I really wish you all the success. These are wines I was so thrilled to taste, tank test them, and then bottle taste them with you. They're beautiful and elegant and refined and ethereal, not sort of the general opinion of what Basilicata was. But I think this is, you know, the new face of what Basilicata could be. And I'm so glad that you're there and leading the charge. You have your sleeves rolled up and I know you'll never give up. <laughs> thank you. I hope not. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on today. It's a pleasure to speak to you. And I hope that you have a great season this summer. And hopefully I'll be back to visit you and see what you're getting up to in those old vines. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And obviously you always invited in Basilicata. I would be super happy to spend more time with you. And thanks for the opportunity of talking about this beautiful place to discover. You're welcome. Ching ching. Grazie. Ciao. Thank you for listening. And remember to tune in next Wednesday when I'll be chatting with another fascinating guest. Italian Wine Podcast is among the leading wine podcasts in the world and the only one with a daily show. Tune in every day and discover all our different shows. You can find us at italianwinepodcast.com, SoundCloud, Spotify, Himalaya, or wherever you get your pods.